following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters, with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. Sit down, grab a blanket, and snuggle up with your furry family because it's time for Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care where Dr. Michael Takiwa will discuss everything you need to know to keep your fuzzy friends happy, healthy, and safe. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. Here he is now, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Good morning. Welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and it's a beautiful day, as it always is. I love the sunny weather. I love the fact that um, there's less rain lately. Um, we've had an incredible, incredible amount of rainfall. I haven't had to water the plants or the garden or the lawn or anything like that, but it's just a little too much rain. Um, so thanks, Global Warming. And as always, this episode of Your Pet Matters is brought together by Science, it's real. Okay, so so speaking of science, um, an article came out in Newsweek, I believe, recently about the anti-vaxxer movement accidentally funding a vaccine study which definitively proved that vaccines do not cause autism. And um, I'd like to thank the anti-vaxxers out there. Um, So as a parent of someone on the spectrum, as someone who truly believes in vaccines for not only us, but our pets because they help defend us from disease processes. And anyone can look at the incidence of diseases that are prop- popping up that we have um, eradicated due to vaccines and because of the anti-vax movement um, are popping up again can see that the benefits of this. Um, but that's what not what I wanna talk about. I actually wanna talk about the concept of vaccines in pets causing autism. Um, not in the sense that there are any correlation because nothing has been shown on that side either because nothing has been shown about autism in pets but it it got me thinking it got me thinking about pets and autism and and maybe it's because I do have a child on the spectrum that I see things I've learned things um, I know certain cues and and I came I came to this hypothesis Um, and the hypothesis is that for the most part, all pets are autistic. So, so hear me out on this. Um, autism to me is kind of like a step forward in human evolution. It is people on the spectrum think outside the box. Um, you know, we, we talk about Steve Jobs. We talk about um, other brilliant uh, people who are outside the box that were on the autism spectrum. And... I think that it is it is definitely the next evolution. I, I mean, I'm fearful that they're even talking about a cure towards autism. You know, and I think I think it's variable on the spectrum. You know, I understand there are levels of spectrum of autism where um, life is difficult, and I understand that. Um, but I think that the little quirks of the people lightly on the spectrum, I think, are beneficial to our our evolvement. And uh, I think it's something that we, sh- we should discuss. But, but getting back to pets, so the, the typical traits of those on the spectrum are as follows. There's a lot of touch sensitivity, 
um, it's almost like their senses are enhanced compared to standard human senses. And pets by nature in their DNA have enhanced senses. Um, for example, the, the palate. I think cats are phenomenal for palate. So one of our struggles with pet parents is medications and how cats not only smell it, but they also taste it. And if they taste something they're not familiar with, they will have incredible difficulty getting that medication in. So there's a higher sense of a palate. And I noticed that with my son as well. He's got this palate that, and that's why you'll see people on the spectrum like the, the plain meals that mixing palates together, um, they're not chefs, and so mixing the taste together is something that my son is only evolving to now. Um, before it was one taste and one taste only, he doesn't like the mix of things, which is very interesting. Um, so, so to me, cats are kind of on the spectrum with, with respect to feeding medications. It is a definite common knowledge that they can hear things better. So people on the spectrums, again, have noise aversion. Um, super loud noises are aversive to them. And as you can experience with fireworks, et cetera, it's, it's interesting, um, or just loud sounds in general. And you'll get that a lot in a lot of pets. They'll be aversive to that noise. Um, the skin sensitivity, tactile presentation of things. You'll see a lot of dogs and cats, just, you know, you touch them certain areas, they're, they're hypersensitive to things like that. Um, Sense of smell. I mean, it's interesting. I, I really strongly use my sense of smell, and I joke, my wife and I joke that my son can smell things that we can't. Um, well, so can my dog. And so I think it's just a hyper sense. And the other thing is, is vision. I, you know, although um, the visual acuity of pets, I think with the exception of a lot of the hunting birds and so forth, the visual acuity is not as considered as great as us, but boy, can they see movement. Um, and so th there's that, this visual acuity that I think is, um, it's, it's a, it, to me, it's, it's akin to someone on the spectrum being able to see things from a completely different angle or see things, see um, image things and everything through their vision. So, so to me, that's what I think all pets are on the spectrum. The other thing that a lot of people on the spectrum do is they get hyper-focused hyper-focused on something. Well, you ever see, you ever see a pet hyper-focused on chasing something? It's, it's, it's there. Um, the other thing, the other thing that, that, that I love is, is social cues. So a general consensus with people on the spectrum is that they don't understand our human social cues. So let me stress human social cues. So what, what are considered normal for society cues? Um, and those are things are that were trained into them. Um, so part of early intervention in a lot of children is to train certain social cues um, and how to respond to things like they don't, they can't read emotions or anything like that. And is it not true that a lot of our pets just don't really care about our social cues? You know, um, emissions of gas, you know, doing things in front of you, they just don't really care, it's, it's their thing. Or you get, the, you get the cat that has what they call the a-hole syndrome, where they'll say, boom, they'll do things that they don't care about. Almost like they're, almost like they're you know, some people on the spectrum, when, when they say things or pronounce things um, or do things, are considered like boy that was that was inappropriate that was inappropriate by our human cues and a lot of cats are doing things that are inappropriate um, so I find I find that that's a link towards the spectrum so I think I think most pets are on the spectrum and the last thing I think is something that 
we find with a lot of people on spectrum is is they're just they're what you get what you see is what you get it's just an open concept and they're very they're very empathetic they're very loving towards people more so than a lot of the other people in this human world and i think that's a given for pets i my tagline is love your pet like they love you unconditionally um, at the end of each show and i think it's definitive i think the the concept of unconditional love from a pet is typical of that from someone on the spectrum my my son is an incredibly loving individual um and empathetic towards many causes and everything in a worldly view so that's my take i i, I really think there is a, a you know so so if the anti-vaxxers want to say that that vaccines cause autism awesome but they may be a little too late because in my opinion many pets are on the spectrum anyways and that makes them better so it's it's enhancing the animal condition enhancing the human animal bond so that's my take on autism and it was cued by this this article about um the anti-vaxxer movement accidentally funding uh, a study that shows that the vaccines don't cause autism the following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters, with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back. And if you're just joining us, um, I was talking about how my theory that pets are all on the spectrum. Um, so it's very, it's very interesting that way. But, but I also want to talk about something else. Um, I, I'm trying to put a little where the video or audio file together um, with my son and my wife just to think, just to get their take on things like what, what I do, what their perception is, what I do, and you know how what I do as both a veterinarian um, and a business owner, how, that I f how, how they view that. How does it affect our family life? You know, what do they see me going through? Um, there's a lot of talk in our industry about our wellness and um, you know, the, the high rate of suicide that's among my profession and you know, the stress that's akin to being a veterinarian. And I think that um, although there are many stresses that we face that are similar to other professions, there, there, there's some bizarre stresses that we face as veterinarians. And whether it's in our DNA, whether it's the type of personalities that enter the profession or what, it's, it's one of those things. So, so part of this process was getting my son. And so just before bed, I hit the record button and I, and I asked him what he thinks I do. Um, so let's take a listen to that now. Okay, so you can see from that concept that he's, he, my kid sees two complete different sides. One is that I help pets through illness, and then I help pets through the end of their life, which is, which is very interesting because we are one of the few professions that we see a patient from birth to death. Sometimes we see multiple generations of families um, from birth to death, and so um, it's interesting. But, but I wanted to touch on, on the the fact about um, the euthanasia component. And um, I've been thinking about things ever since, you know, we had to make a decision on Holly. I call it make a decision with clients um, because we're deciding to, to end their existence on this plane. And I think it's important 
to understand the concept. And we always we always get questions as from non-veterinarians. They go, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you can you can do this. You can do this. And and yes, there, there's a huge um, thought process in going through this. But I always like to consider the concept of a good death. Um, it's so funny because the word euthanasia is Greek for good death. And I came across this study that they did in the Netherlands. And they studied around 200 um, cases where that people who were allowed to end their lives, because it's, it's legal, um, they found that the friends and family members of terminally ill cancer patients, just like my dog, my dog had cancer, so we had to make a decision on them, um, and that they were a better able to cope with the death of that loved one. Less time grieving, less post-traumatic stress. Um, and I, I, I think it is phenomenal because that's honestly how I feel about ending a pet's life on this plane. Um, I always tell the students that come on board is that, you know, one of the unique things that we get to do as a medical practitioner is to either end suffering or prevent suffering. And that's how I use um, the term euthanasia. Now, mind you, this has nothing to do with palliative, hospice, um, end-of-life care. This is at the time the decision is made for quality of life. Um, and there's a lot of quality of life scales out there, um, and there's a lot of extremes. And in my time, I've seen incredible extremes. I've seen people making a decision to end life on their pet quite early, and I've seen people deciding to make a decision to end life on their pet very, very late in the game. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, I kid you not, there is a... Um, technician that I worked with that held on to her pet for so long um, and it was interesting because the there's always this concept of who are you holding on for are you are you holding on to the best interests of your pet or yourself and I think there's a fine line to determine which is best um, but it I don't know I think that that really taught me, okay, let me get into details of this. So um, cats can get, when cats are vaccinated with um, adjuvant-based vaccines, so adjuvants are chemical substances placed in vaccines that cause an irritation in the concept of getting that vaccine product into the system better. And studies have shown in cats that the adjuvant vaccines have a high incidence of causing a tumor called a fibrosarcoma. So I'm going off on a little tangent here, but the importance is, is that to use what we call non-adjuvant or adjuvant-free vaccines on cats. Since the um, introduction of adjuvant-free vaccines, the incidence, the occurrence of fibrosarcoma tumors has dropped down like 98%. And in fact, the only reason why you actually see the percentages are there's still some vets out there Yes, there are some vets in my state. Yes, there are some vets throughout the North America and the world that are still vaccinating with adjuvant vaccines. The difficulty is, is that tumor can present itself, 
I think as little as eight months to 11 years post-vaccine. So it's one of those things that's difficult to do. So you're best off just not using adjuvant-based vaccines, period. So that's my tangent, that's my soapbox. But, but in this case, this cat was vaccinated with an adjuvant vaccine, led to a fibrosarcoma, and this tumor was basically a quarter the size of the cat. It had ulcerated, it was a complete opening. And how you look at it is from, and it was interesting because there was a, there was a team of people working at this practice, and you'd get a majority of them saying that they felt that this cat was suffering. But the pet owner, who was also working at this practice, didn't believe so. Um, for me, I took it as a, a life learning lesson. Um, to me, it was what, literally when we were literally removing caseous pus discharge from this lesion in copious amounts on a regular basis, to me, it was not, it was not fair for that cat. And it really instilled in me a strong desire to make sure that when I'm guiding pet parents through end stage decisions that the concept of suffering was, was hugely there. Um, and my personal take on it is that if you feel your pet is not having the quality of life you want for them, or if you were them, would you want to be in that position? Those are, those are my guidelines for, for talking about um, euthanasia. But I definitely think that euthanasia to me is a good thing. Um, I most recently put down another cancer patient, a dog I've known his entire life, um, and wonderful, wonderful pet parents. Um, she is in the human medical field. Um, unfortunately for ashes, we diagnosed a mast cell cancer within his nose area and they decided to get an oncologist so a uh, former guest of the show done jenny kim phenomenal oncologist she started the process of giving him treatment um, the last week i saw him he had become jaundice um, so the cancer had spread to his liver and the type of chemotherapy agent we were trying was not be useful and it was determined at that time that it was palliative care and quality of life um, and shortly thereafter, um, we, th they made a decision on, on Ashes. And to me, it was the right decision because he would have suffered. He would have suffered. Um, and, and I think that w when you look at the word euthanasia as good death, it's something that, you know, as pet parents, you never want to take that. that it's, I, I understand the difficulty of making a decision on your pet. And there's always that concept, oh, I want my pet to die at home. And under the right conditions, with the right hospice care, there are great possibilities for that, but, um, and in our human world, we tend to do that. Just keep in mind that the humans are typically on copious amounts of medication. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna let my pet be at home and not on any medication. I'm gonna stop everything, blah, 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 and let them pass. And I can, I can almost guarantee to 100% that in the last stages of their, their life, it is not good. It is, it is a suffering moment. So. If you feel that that's what you want, then definitely work with your veterinarian because they can arrange to have hospice care. It's becoming really big in this world um, that can help you through moments like that. But I look at euthanasia as a good death, and I think if it's done properly, if you have the proper guidelines, it's a it's a it's a work in progress with the pet parents based on the situation. I think it could work. 
So let's take a few breaks. Um, let's take another break, I should say. Um, listen to a few messages. Um, and we'll come back to Your Pet Matters right here on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. Every weekend, you'll find a project to get involved with. And sometimes, it'll include your scaly or furry partner in crime. From Your Pet Matters with Dr. T, it's time for Producers Pet Project. Your go-to for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and overall helpful tips and tricks to keep your best friend happy and healthy. Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Hello everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer Wade Buchanan, and today I want to talk about 10 monuments devoted to animals that deserve to be remembered by humans. Animals can be incredible companions during the hardest adventures and we should probably try to remember their courage, loyalty, and fondness more. Every story is different, but they all have one thing in common, the unbreakable bond between humans and animals. Number one is the statue of Balto in New York City. Balto became a hero in 1925 when a diphoretta outbreak threatened the town of Nome, Alaska. The medicine was 700 miles away and his team had to face a snowstorm in a 53 mile long journey to save the town. Balto led the incredibly dangerous expedition brilliantly. Number two is the Monument to Laboratory Mice in Russia. This peculiar statue is dedicated to laboratory animals and mice which have always played a central role in scientific discoveries, since they're the most used test subjects. Founded in 1957, the Institute of Cytology and Genetics in Novorexpert was dedicated to the study of genetics. Number three is Towser, which is located in a Glenturn distillery in Scotland. From 1963 to 1987, Towser has been an official rodent catcher of the Glenturn distillery. She won the title of World's Greatest Mouse Catcher in the Guinness Book of World Records after catching 28,899 mice over her lifetime. Her owners decided to honor her with a memorial statue outside the shop. Number four is Winnipeg the Bear statue which is located in London. Many people don't know that the character of Winnie the Pooh was based on an actual bear who was adopted by Lieutenant Harry Coldberg during World War I. The cub became the mascot of his regiment, and in 1915, she was left in the care of the London Zoo, where Christopher Robin eventually fell in love with her and decided to name his toy after the cub. Number five is Hamish McHamish, which is located in St. Andrews, Scotland. Hamish McHamish became famous on social media, and people used to go to St. Andrews just to see him. He was the cat of the BBC producer, Marianne Bard who also let him roam free around the streets of the town. After he died in 2014, the town dedicated a bronze statue to him. Number six is the statue of Hachiko and Hadesiburo in Ueno, Tokyo, Japan. Hachiko is one of the most beloved dogs in the world, famous because he has been going to Shibuya train station for every day for over nine years to wait for his owner, Professor Yeno. Today, you can admire the statue of Hachi and Ueno inside the campus of the University of Tokyo, where Ueno was a professor. Number seven is Wojtek, the Soldier Bear Memorial located in Scotland. Wojtek the Bear was adopted by a group of Polish soldiers in Iran in 1942. 
The cub quickly became important to boost morale and learn to salute and carry supplies. At the end of the war, Wojtek was moved to Edinburgh Zoo, where today you can admire their commemorative statue. Number 8 was a monument to Fido, located in Florence, Italy. Fido used to hang out every day in the square of Florence where his owner, Carlo, used to take the bus. Fido kept going to the square for more than 5,000 days and in 1957, a statue of Fido was unveiled. Number 9 is the space dog Laika, located in Moscow, Russia. Laika was the first animal to orbit Earth and was among the first animals in space. She took part in an experiment in 1957, a test to see if she could survive being launched into orbit. She died a few hours after the launch. Since 2008, the monument has been free to visit near the Military Research Center in Moscow. Number 10 is Secretariat statue in Kentucky Horse Park in the United States. Secretariat is considered, by many, to be the best racehorse to ever exist in the United States history. It had been the first Triple Crown winner in 25 years. His record-breaking victory in Belmont Park, which he won by 31 lengths, is widely regarded as one of the greatest in horse race history. So I ended up doing some more research and I actually found another statue that I kind of found funny, so I guess make it 11 statues of animals. The 11th is the statue of Tom Bili in Istanbul, Turkey. Tombili was a street cat who lived in Istanbul. She was known for her way of leaning against steps and became famous on social media. Also thanks to picture modified with Photoshop and memes in which she was portrayed with glasses and other fun accessories. Unfortunately, that's all the time I have for this episode of Producer's Pet Project. Tune in next week where I count in more tips and tricks to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Till then, back to Dr. T with Your Pet Matters. I'm your producer, Wavy Cannon, and I will see you all in the next one. Stay safe, everybody. That was today's segment of Producer's Pet Project. Your one stop for all things pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and more. Be sure to tune in next time. And for a more in-depth conversation, listen to Your Pet Matters with Dr. T every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Producer's Pet Project is underwritten in part by Progressive Veterinary Care. Only on 107.7 The Bronx. The following is an encore presentation of Your Pet Matters, with many new shows to come. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Your Pet Matters to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Now, here's a replay of Your Pet Matters with Dr. Michael Takiwa. We're back with Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care, discussing everything you need to know to keep your furry friends happy, healthy, and safe. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Welcome back to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael, Dr. T. Tikiwa, and I'd like to talk about um, GPS little uh, devices that help you track your pet. Um, I recently adopted a dog who's phenomenal. Um, her name is Flossie Chikubi. Um, I'll do a whole story on her one day. Um, but she is a little dog. Um, well, she's really small, but she's very dense. For her size, she uh, weighs a lot more. She's solid muscle. Um, she's a great dog, great personality, but she has this desire to chase bunnies, and she likes to run. And it's been so long, I, it's been decades since I've ever had to train a dog. And um, 
it's interesting because I remember just being confident. I have a fenced in backyard and I've had three dogs in this backyard and none of them have gotten out unless someone opens the gate. And I remember, I think it's our third week of having her. I thought, oh yeah, she's just gonna stay in the backyard. And I'll just never forget. Um, I'm working away in the back and I look over and I see her outside our fence running around and then I see a deer and I see her take off. And we have this wild area of the backyard called, it's wild there. It's, it, the deer actually lie there and they, I think that's where they multiply. I think it's where the magic happens for deer in our backyard. But so picture me running through there. Um, I'm doing everything wrong. If a dog is running away from you, you should be pretending to run the other way. You should lie down, it, it, make it a game so they come after you and I'm not and you shouldn't be screaming their name and this is, this is just reactive me just doing this. So picture her, picture a deer running through this bush with tons of poison ivy. Um, if you've ever seen the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you'll see uh, Pepe Le Pew, the way he bounces. So picture my dog chasing the deer, bouncing like that because it's brush. And then me just stumbling over, just trying to chase her. So I find, I mean, she, she, she um, settled down. I finally got her and I brought her back. And I was thinking to myself, after a bath, and, and I joke that I've never bathed a dog as often as I bathed this dog. The first month of ownership of this dog, I've bathed her more than I did Holly in, her, in an entire year. Um, and I thank God I didn't have poison ivy. Um, and let me take a tangent about poison ivy. Have you ever heard about poison ivy? I, I watched the YouTube video, get a cloth, and it doesn't matter what soap. I'm a fan of Dawn because I, I like the way Dawn works, but get a cloth and Dawn, and just that you scrub all your areas of your arm, including your elbow area, even if you feel that nothing touched there, and you will really decrease your incidence of poison ivy. So if you ever need to do that, do that. Um, but that's my tangent, that's my soapbox, and we're gonna get back to the, to the story right now. So I bathe her and I say, never again. And many moons ago, I think I reached out to the Whistle um, CEO before it became big and I just went on and you know, a name, I go, I'm gonna get a tracker. I do not want to lose this dog. So I went out and I did a little research, not a lot, I did a little re research and it, Whistle looked affordable. Um, so I went and I bought a Whistle tracker that you actually clip to the um, collar. And what I love about Whistle is it's a phenomenal tracker. So um, the app is very simple to use. Uh, you can set boundaries. So I actually just did the, the perimeter of our property. So every time she is not on that, um, which let me clarify, when we take her for a walk in the neighborhood, she is not on that. Um, I've never had her escape. Let me knock on wood. Never had her escape since then. Um, but um, we can, I can actually track her, I can pinpoint her. And when you look at the app, you, you can actually see, I'm using the phone app on my phone and I, you can see me and you can see her. She's asleep um, somewhere, but you can actually see her within the same boundaries and everything. Um, but what I like is it, it the, I think these, these, these GPS devices, no matter what they are, if they're well-made um, and they have good software, not only do they track your pet for you, but they also do something that I think is very important. They, they track activity. Um, and so built into this, this, this app is how many calories should she burn a day for a dog? How much exercise she should get? Oh, she almost, they give you goals. You know, she almost met her goals. This is her, her travel path. I can see exactly where they go. Um, and people have used this to track their cat's whereabouts to the neighborhood to see what their cat does. And they're surprised at how far cats can roam. They're, far, they're surprised how the distance and everything. But I think 
from a medical standpoint, I think mobility is huge. Um, and what we've learned from these GPS trackers are we've learned how little ac activity does occur in the household. Um, we've learned how, how much they actually do sleep versus what we were even taught as veterinary students in textbooks and so forth. Um, but I think activity is important because a great example, if and if any of you have senior pets, you will notice that many times at night they won't settle. And many times at night they're not settling because guess what? They're old, they have arthritis, and they're in pain. So actually their nighttime movement may go up. Um, it's great for after surgery. If you, if you don't see them moving around after surgery, a young pet that's spayed or neutered, if you don't see them moving around, their activity is low, that could also signify that a young pet is in pain and not wanting to move. Um, or if, if, uh, if they're moving way too much, what are they getting into during the day? I think one of the people they did, um, if you ever go to the PetSmart uh, vets, Banfield did a study, they actually gave away several uh, collars um, to, I think they did 14,500 pets. So they were able to track um, studies and she found, the, the actual researcher found that her own pets, they usually eat at so-and-so time. Why is my dog getting active an hour or two later? Well, it turns out they were getting into another food bin. Um, so it's, it's very interesting what you can find with these GPS trackers. But I think um, as devices get better, I think GPS is a great first tool to look at activity and movement and everything like that. Um, what I love too is that if I'm not home and our neighbor across the street is walking her dog, I'll get alert on my phone or my Apple Watch and it'll have the whistle logo and it'll say, um, it'll say Flossie is 700 meters from your house. Um, and so you can get a notification that they're, they're, they're either um, where they're supposed to be or they're where they're not supposed to be. Um, so I think those are really good, phenomenal things to, um, to do. But I think activity level um, is huge. Um, I love it because I can, I can see things so that if um, my wife and I trade off walking her at night so that we each know um, when each other's like coming back to the house so that nothing ever happened, incident ever happened down the street or anything like that. But the main reason why I got this was just in case she does get out. I mean, there is a major street just a block away from me and I don't want her getting on that and getting injured, but I also want to be able to, to track her down and find her if something does happen. So. I'm a fan of GPS trackers. I think everyone should have it. Um, the other thing I'm a fan of is um, camera technology. I love, um, and I'll talk about the Furbo later. Um, I purchased a Furbo and it's great. I can actually monitor what's going on. Um, it gives me people alert. It gives me barking alert. It gives me activity alert. Um, in addition, this particular device is I can, I can outside of um, this home in a Wi-Fi zone anywhere, I can actually throw treats to, to her. Um, and check on her and everything. So I often, I do. I'll never forget at my niece's uh, graduation dinner in New York City, um, one of my sister-in-laws, uh, she, th they have no kids, but they have tons of dogs. And we're, what are they doing? They're, they're using their cameras and they have a furball too, but they're using the cameras to see what their dogs are doing. Um, it's, it's phenomenal, I think it's great. I think it's a great way to, to keep track of things and, and, and go from there. But, but I, I would highly recommend a GPS. Um, you know, none of this has been sponsored by Whistle, but I've been very happy with Whistle. Um, from a charging standpoint, I've gotten over two weeks on one charge. They say you should charge the unit every three days. I've gotten over two weeks on a charge, so pretty happy with that. Um, it charges very quickly, um, but I'll make a I'll make a more in, in detailed um, video on on the Whistle because um, I'll tell you what I've what I've found and what I've learned from it. But I'm a fan of that. 
So go out and look for that, especially if you have a dog that tends to roam. But having said all that, the best thing to do for your dog is to train them not to roam. Um, and Stephanie Kowalewski at Heavenly Hounds will have great ideas for that. She's already given me tips. Um, and so I'm working on that and it's always a work in progress. So thanks for listening to Your Pet Matters. It's been a great show. Um, bunch of different things we talked about um, and I hope it was fun and informative. And remember everyone, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. That was Your Pet Matters with Dr. T of Progressive Veterinary Care. You can tune in right here every Saturday at 10 a.m. Or to hear more right now, you can go to 1077thebronc.com slash yourpetmatters, where you can download past episodes as podcasts on your favorite platform like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Your Pet Matters is underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care, 390 County Road, Route 518, Skillman. For more information online, it's progressiveveterinarycare.com. We'll see you next time, only on 1077 The Bronx.